BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Are you thinking about starting a podcast but don't know where to start? Let me take a second to tell you about Anchor by Spotify. It's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need, all in one place. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast across a plethora of listening platforms, such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all the big ones. It's everything you need to make a podcast, all in one place. And best of all, completely free. If you're thinking about starting a podcast, do yourself a favor and check out anchor.fm or download the app to get started. The reality we live in can be a very strange place. Most of the time, fact being stranger than fiction. How will we ever start to understand this reality we live in unless we question everything? Join me and a guest as we unravel the mysteries of this reality one topic at a time. This is Inquiries of Our Reality with Shane Jones. Hello, hello, everyone, to another exciting episode of Inquiries of Our Reality, number 77 to be exact. So I'm changing up a little bit. Rather than doing all the call tags, all that, you know, generic shit that you kind of hear in the beginning of the show, I'm going to start just saying that on the show, make it a little bit more personal, and that way I can get some reviews in, you know, if somebody drops some cool stuff, you know, all that fun stuff. So to get rolling on it, uh, if you want to review the show, I would greatly appreciate it, whether it be on Apple or Spotify, or, you know, you share it with a friend, but that's the only way that the show is going to grow. So if you guys love the show, help it grow a little bit. And while you're at it, why don't you go and uh, follow the show on social media if you aren't already. Um, currently, my most active one is probably Instagram. Uh, so that's probably the best place to get all the updates for the show, all that kind of fun stuff. Uh, there's also a Telegram that I have set up. And uh, that just kind of gives you updates on the show. Uh, there's some little bit of chatting in there here and there. I'm trying to build that one up. But, you know, it takes time, just like anything. And uh, while you're following that stuff on social media, I'm sure a lot of you guys know, but if you don't know already, um, I also do another show called Bizarre Encounters with uh, Ghost from My Third Eye. So if you haven't checked that one out yet, go and check that out. Uh, same thing, follow it across social media, share it with a friend, review, always appreciated. And uh, if you don't can't quite get enough, you know, you, you want to be able to get early access to episodes or you want to have access to private streamed live episodes. I guess that's the best way to word it. Um, that's a new thing I'm building on. Going to be building and adding more onto the Patreon. You can come and check out the Patreon. Uh, it's a good way to support the show, get a little bit something in return, flow back and forth, you know. But uh, if you just want to donate to the show in general, I also have an anchor that you can donate on and a Kofi, which, uh, you know, that's 
a little, every little bit helps. Then I can get some better equipment, start to upgrade a little bit. And maybe one day I can eventually do this full time, but you know, we'll build there. We'll get there. And uh, if you want to get yourself some awesome, awesome merch for the show, I definitely have a merch store too. So, you know, do yourself a favor and uh, go check that fun stuff out. And we also have some collabs happening with a uh, crypto theology. So shout out to crypto theology. Uh, they're going to be doing some super cool uh, collab designs between them and for all of my cool shows. So, you know, on top of the fact that they just got a bunch of crazy, awesome crypto designs. So do yourself a favor, go check all that stuff out. Uh, make everything quick and easy. I put all of these things that I've addressed all in the link tree. Uh, quick and easy, all under one link. You can find access, you know, bounce back and forth between the shows, all that fun stuff. So go and check that out. Uh, L-I-N-K-T-R period E-E slash increase of our reality podcast. And uh, now that all that fun stuff is out of the way, and now we can get into the fun part. So today with me, I have a very special guest coming back for round two. He is an author, he is a researcher, and he's an artist and all around just interesting guy. Welcome to the show, everybody. Robbie Marks. Hey, how's it going? Pleasure to have you back on, man. Thanks. Thanks. So uh, last time we kind of just got into some of the research you were doing at the time. So this time we're going to flip a little bit. And like I was saying, you're a very interesting guy. So I want to talk about you a bit. So uh, I I guess what's uh, what's your first endeavor that you feel is the most important to address? And then we can kind of kind of touch base on a little bit of everything so people can get a well-rounded view on how interesting of a dude you are. As far as first endeavor, you mean like my main cause as far as what I do? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Um, pretty much for the last 30 to 35 years, I've been a professional artist and, um, I basically just, uh, do a lot of work for clients. Um, as far as commission jobs, um, right now I have like 12, 13, um, jobs on the wall that I'm basically working through. Um, and it's just, uh, you know, um, beginning it was, it was essentially what I love to do. And over the course of, you know, my lifetime, I've turned that into a career basically. And that's something that very few people get to do. And it's really, really cool. So, I mean, that being said, like what inspires you to do your art for anybody that hasn't like seen your art? Like what can you kind of give them verbally to kind of give them an idea of what you do? Um, it's a cross between 50 surf art and 70 Saturday morning cartoons. Um, I do uh, a lot of uh, miscellaneous stuff for um, bands, festivals, um, the cannabis industry, um, just uh, a whole variety of, of, you know, um, clientele. So what's like your all time favorite personal piece that you've done? Uh, what it is it exactly, and what inspired you to do it? Oh man, um, it's well. That's that's an interesting. I really don't think of it necessarily as an all-time favorite piece. I'm kind of like constantly progressing and moving. Um, I mean, looking back, probably some of the more surreal pieces I've done, um, like the big skull that I sent you, um, and then uh, did I send you a deck of cards? Uh, I got one card, which I do have hanging up, which I think is really cool. Okay. And to touch base on your skull picture, that is yeah. honestly one of my favorite pieces that I have in this house because every time I look at it, I notice something totally different in it. And that's one of my favorite types of art. 
Nice, nice. Um, yeah, well, I also did a full deck of cards, which I went and, you know, individually designed and hand drew and, and watercolor, you know, painted each piece um, that I've got. Um, I don't know. I've just, you know, over the course of, of so many years, it's hard to pick a favorite. I mean, there's definitely moments that shine, you know, um, but uh, more than anything, it's really just constantly um, – coming to a resolve with a piece and moving on to the next, it's a progressive function, always moving forward, you know? So I don't, I, a lot of times when I'm looking back at some of my old stuff, it's like, Whoa, you know, Oh, I did that. And I, I really, it's, uh, <clears throat> I, I go through so many pieces that it's hard to, to even pick, you know? Honestly, it's one of those things with almost any kind of creative art that it's like you have to get to a point where you know how to just leave stuff because otherwise yeah. you never get to look back and see where you've been to where you've become because otherwise, you know, nothing will ever be officially finished. So you have to learn to like right. let stuff be as it is, you know, and appreciate it for what it is. Yeah, yeah. I basically have what I call my happy spot. So once I get to the point where I'm feeling satisfied and, you know, I mean, cause you can sit and nitpick and tear something apart forever, you know, and ultimately what I find is, um, in the long run, there's always some minute defect that I notice like after the fact. And it's like, but realistically, you know, uh, what did they say in Rome? You know, if anything were perfect, it would have to be destroyed. So it's like, it's the idea of, you know, nothing's perfect. So you kind of just have to come to a place where you can be, you know, feel satisfied with something, you know? Honestly, that's the beauty of art though. I feel like almost every yeah. piece needs to have some type of, uh, something that's imperfect because that yeah. almost is what uh, makes it perfect. Yes, exactly. Yeah. 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 It's kind of so, like a, like the little blemish marks on like a beautiful woman. You don't want her to be exactly perfect. You like just a little bit of imperfection and it makes it perfect, you know? Like that Mona Lisa smile, you know? Exactly. Like, <laughs> it's kind of goofy, but that's what makes it beautiful, you know? Yeah, in its own yeah. special way. So for, right. for anybody that uh, wants to come and find your art, because I already have a few people asking, mm. uh, where exactly would they come and find your art at? Um, you can find me on Instagram at Robbie, R-O-B-B-Y, Marks, M-A-R-X. That's probably where you're going to find the most like recent and updated string of stuff. Um, and then I also have my Etsy page, which is R Marks, M-A-R-X artist. Um, and then I have my webpage, MarksMarks.com. Um, and you know, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter, I'm out there. So assuming that your art probably led into your like festival travels and all the other fun stuff that you do, uh, what, what kind of things have branched off from you doing your art and, you know, having an interesting perspective on life, you know, doing art and kind of seeing everything from in, in a different light than most people. Mm. Um, it's been probably, uh, I want to say 15, 18 years since I've worked a, a regular job where you had to punch in. Um, and that was only temporary, you know, basically kind of, it's, it's like, uh, you know, as you go through, you always have to have some fallback, you know? So I've, I've kind of fell back into, uh, being a short order cook. Um, I've done, you know, I've worked at laboratories testing wood at like, you know, um, wood pulp plants. I've done all kinds of weird, strange jobs over the years. And, um, but the, 
ultimately I've always come back to going out and, and basically going cross country, traveling and selling my art at shows. And, um, I've, uh, you know, um, it's, it's progressively turned from that into, um, making connections, meeting people, talking to people and getting the, um, the custom jobs to do, you know, merch design, um, poster design, um, product design, you know, logos, labeling, um, all a whole, you know, variety and plethora of things. What are some of the uh, biggest names that you've done art for? Um, I've got, well, Dave Matthews, um, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers was on one poster, um, I did Florida Georgia line posters for a couple of years. Um, I did the last two Grateful Dead, um, concert posters for Santa Clara and Chicago. Um, it's, uh, yeah, quite, quite a long list, man. I was going to so, say, you got a lot of achievements on that list as far as big band names go. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, a couple people have, uh, said, is, is there not anybody that's not on your, you know, um, there was there was one point I did uh, George Clinton um, and Parliament Funkadelic. Um, I ended up doing some stuff for the Nielsen Family Winery, who is David Nelson from uh, New Riders of the Purple Sage, from the whole San Francisco you know psychedelic scene. Um, Betty and Bob Cantor, who used to record the Grateful Dead shows, I did a poster for them. Just a, a bunch of just different stuff, man, all along the way, you know. Um, just kind of whatever I ran into, honestly, you know. So kind of connecting in with all that kind of stuff and considering a lot of the bands you've done art for, um, I'm assuming that you probably, you know, had your fair share of uh, psychedelic experiences and, you know, connections with spirituality. So, uh, like, where do, where do you kind of lay with that stuff? Um, I think it's uh, each individual person's own prerogative to decide what they're going to do with their mind and how they're going to... Uh, you know, facilitate whatever experience they feel they need to, you know, justify to themselves as they live the course of their own life. You know, it's, it's a very libertarian philosophy in that, you know, everyone has to decide for themselves, you know, what is, what is right for their own persona, you know? And, um, it's, uh, it's, you know, um, not my job to, to judge, you know? Do you uh, personally use that as, you know, a little bit of inspiration or like when you're doing your art? Um, yeah, I have over the years, you know, I mean, it's been a consistent thing as I've traveled around and, um, you know, and then working in the cannabis industry now, it's like, uh, you know, cannabis just seems to be a, a regular uh, influx in everything that I do these days, you know. So is that more so like where your art's inspired is more by like the cannabis aspect of like the psychedelic yeah. spectrum? No, I wouldn't say that the substances necessarily inspire me. Um, I would say that, that the substances are kind of a facilitator, you know, of movement of the mind. Um, but I think that, that it's life in general, you know, just looking out the window. Look, I do a lot of tree pieces. I love trees. Um, you know, I was just thinking today, I've got chickens. I was thinking about going out there and sitting for a few hours and just drawing chickens. So it's just like, you know, the things that are around. And when I was traveling a lot, um, you know, it, basically I started, uh, when I was about 14, um, I was DJing and I threw my turntables on top of a friend's 
car and we strapped him down this gold Honda Civic. And uh, we went down to New Orleans and, you know, I was DJing from New Orleans. I was in New Orleans for a while, ended up DJing from Alabama all the way out to Vegas and just kind of, you know, um, and then at a certain point, um, it, it, you know, so I've always been out and experiencing things, you know, and, and I've been going out and seeing the world now for, you know, since, since I was 14 and I'm roughly, um, 51 this year. So it's, uh, you know, something I still loved. I got a big trip already planned for this next summer. So, yeah. Dude, that's awesome. Lucking out. A lot yeah. of people want to be able to travel like that and they don't necessarily mm. get to, but I guess, uh, that being said, like what, what are some of your, uh, I guess, most memorable experiences, you know, getting to travel and getting to do art at these types of events and, you know, making these connections mm. with these types of people. Most memorable. Um, it all kind of melts together into a, like a singular, you know, unit. Um, strangely enough. I mean, you figure, um, my wife, um, when I met her, um, I hauled her out on the road after we'd been together about, Oh, six or seven months and took her on Grateful Dead tour. And she's pretty much, you know, hung around. Um, we're going on, um, let's see, probably 20, I want to say 25 or 27 years together that we've been hanging out with each other now. Um, through the course of that, you know, we had our daughter and raised her up. Um, we kept her home the first year. And then after that, we had her out, you know, um, pretty much whenever she wasn't in school, she was out with us at the shows, you know, um, and she's, uh, she's turning 19 this year. So it's, you know, um, the, uh, as far as, you know, um, we've, we've gone like my daughter, um, at one point she, she, we were basically, we had a few days off in between things. And I was like, well, we can go to this state or we can go here, anywhere in this circle that you want to go, you know, we can go there. And she's like, she's like, well, what if I want to go to all the States? And I was like, oh, all right, let's do it. <laughs> so by the time she was 11 years old, we had hit all 50 States with her. You know, Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. So it's, it's, um, you know, it's just been, it's been something that I've, I've always just kind of done. I mean, I've always just kind of had this whole vagabond kind of spirit of going out and traveling around. And, you know, there's been times that, that we've been broken down, you know, um, broken down car, no money. There's been other times, you know, I mean, when you're up, you're up and when you're down, you're down, you know, it's just, it's, uh, is what it is, you know, I mean, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, something I've always loved to do. So what's uh, some of the most important lessons that you've learned being out on the road? Um, patience, um, perspective, um, you know, always try to see yourself in the other person's shoes, um, and realize that, that as much as you can help, sometimes you can't help. Um, it's that whole like Siddhartha thing, you know, the whole, the whole world is in pain. It's like, you know, you, you try to, you know, hang out and, and have a good time and laugh with the people that you can laugh with and realize that, that, you know, it's, it's the world is, is, you know, um, you have to try to make the best of it while you're here, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Make yeah. every moment count. Right. Right. So, uh, you know, having all this stuff incorporated, um, like when you go to do your art, like what exactly is like your method? Do you like listen to music? Uh, do you, you know, listen to audiobooks? Like what exactly do you do? 
<clears throat> so um, I have developed this this kind of process of the way I do things. Um, when I'm initially taking the idea that's in my head and basically putting it down on paper, um, I will listen to um, instrumental, um, usually melodic type music that's uh, symphonic or um, ambient in in many in many cases um but just something that's that's um fluid without being um like interrupting like i don't want any lyrics i don't want to have to be thinking about anything i just kind of want abstract ambient space within my mind so that's pretty much how i work when i'm doing the initial sketch um once i get to the point that um, i'm doing ink um, or doing color, um, then I can kind of start to either listen to like any kind of music or I'll start to listen to uh, podcasts or books on, uh, you know, audio books. Um, but then once I get to the, uh, the phase where I'm working the, the color on, you know, digitally, like building it for press, um, then generally I will put on an audio book and the longer the audio book, the better. I mean, I like the big fat, just bricks because I look at it almost as like a, uh, like, and I made this metaphor somewhere recently, but it's like, you're getting into like a boat or a canoe and you're like traveling across the vast body of water and kind of while that is going on in the periphery, um, I'm, I'm like letting the art happen kind of in front of me. And it's like, it's something I don't even really think about. It's something I just sit and, and do, you know, so I kind of get absorbed in that, that long-term journey while I watch the art slowly, you know, um, manifest in front of me. So listening to the audiobooks, um, assumably that's probably what kind of inspired you to start moving towards, uh, the author side of things. Yeah. Well, you know, um, when I was probably about 14, I started, um, I think it was Carlos Castaneda that really got me into reading as far as, you know, getting involved in the whole psychedelic experience. Um, but, you know, I, I read Carlos Castaneda and then um, kind of got into some like Ram Dass and, you know, different Timothy Leary and stuff like that. And um, then I got really got into Eastern theology and I was like studying Buddhism and um, like Zen and, and that, you know, the Tao. And, and kinda, then I went into more Indian philosophy, but I basically, you know, through the course, I've kind of like trailed around culturally through all these different things that I've been interested in. And at a certain point, um, yeah, it's it's much like the art, you know, um, being a visual medium. Um, mm -hmm. You're bombarded by all these images and you kind of take them and culminate them within your own mind and create this this thing where you're basically talking back to the, as the artist, you're almost talking back to the universe when you create a piece of art. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's like the manifestation of, of staring into the void, you know? Um, and it's the same kind of thing. Once you go through so many of those books and you start to like get this cohesive kind of, uh, understanding of, you know, um, whatever you perceive it all to be, um, certain things start to, um, emerge from that, that chaos. And, um, basically I found that storyline of Nimrod, 
um, the first skinwalker, you know, and I, and I found those pieces in various places. And so I kind of really dove into that and felt out the character of Nimrod and, and kind of, you know, put some legs on like the time in which he existed so I could understand, you know, the environment and, and, you know, and then you trace that into the mysticism and the symbolism and you just, so I basically took that culmination of all that information and very much like with the art, I kind of reduce it down into a standing body that I can, you know, um, yeah. And that's, that's kind of how it happened. It's just another way of, of, um, processing and, and, you know, restructuring the information, which is in formation, you know, it's not solidified yet. So you take all the information and you like create this thing that kind of, you know, cohesively, um, congeals within itself, you know? So from your book, have you come up with a title or anything like that for it yet? Yeah, it's Nimrod the First Skinwalker. Oh, straight so, to the point. <laughs> yeah. And it's uh and then it's got a subtitle. It's like a theodicy on the origin of the mystery schools, the black cube, and the foundation of the twelve tribes of Israel. You know. So Do you have any idea of when that might be coming out for anybody that's listening and wants to go and get a copy? Um yeah, we were talking about I just talked to the editor last night and um he's actually spending the next two days working on it today and tomorrow. Um, but we were talking about, um, possibly taking some of the early chapters, um, and releasing them with some of the, uh, the notes that I have. Cause I have about 800 pages of written notes from putting the book together. So I was thinking about, you know, releasing like a few chapters with the, you know, the extra notes to go with it and kind of have like a set of zines maybe leading up to the public. Cause it's a slow process. It's just, it's, you know, getting all the, and then at the same time, I'm working on um, illustrations for it as well, you know. Oh, wow. I'm really looking forward to those illustrations. I assume yeah. it's just going to be like a straight, like, you know, chapter yeah. book. I'm trying to make it have, like, have a certain look of antiquity about it when it, when we get to the publishing point, you know. So it's not just, I mean, basically on the, on, um, when I released the first edition, um, we're looking at, um, like a, uh, seventies style pulp paperback with a full color, uh, full color cover, um, maybe gold embossed and then, um, black and white illustrations, you know, mixed in with the text that I'll be doing, you know, all inking out by hand. So. Talk about two birds, one stone, that a lot of people just write the book and they don't put as much effort into the appearance of the book. But coming yeah. from an artist who's writing the book, it's like you got the full well-rounded picture it's, on it that, you it's know, it's my like whole, you're not just yeah. basic. <laughs> I get to do whatever I want with it, man. And I'm publishing it myself. I'm not really, and you know, I'm not concerned. I'm, I'm more doing this as a, uh, a piece of self-expression um, that, that basically I'm going to have available um, to whoever might be interested in that niche of, of, you know, strange information, you know? So considering that you have so much information on it, are you planning on doing like a part two to this book at some point? Um, yeah, I don't know about, well, I mean, maybe something to do later with, uh, I was looking at the subject of Moses. Um, I've also been looking at the subject of Philip K. Dick, maybe writing something about him. Um, just, uh, cause I've been going through a lot of his, uh, 
early stories from the early like sci-fi rags, you know, that he did. And um, just some of the stuff going on with that. It, it's I find it extremely interesting in regard to thought processes and how some of the things that, that he postulates line up with certain things that I've been thinking for some time, you know, I mean, that's, isn't that, but that's with any art because realistically with everything that we look at and take in, we're, we're actually looking for a piece of ourself in that, you know, as far as, as far as the reflecting factor, you know, so it's, that's something I've always said too. Is that uh, it's no matter what you watch, it's like the shows you're drawn to, the media you're drawn to. It's either like you see yourself in it, or you see something that you wish that you were. So you know, like a lot of like you know, like the the uh, warrior story, hero story, all that kind of stuff. Like a lot of people wish they're in that position, so they like associate with it. So yeah. kind of going into some like psychological thing. Oh um, yeah, I've always asked people. You know, I first meet people like who their favorite character. Are, characters are in shows because it asks it seems like an innocent question but honestly it gives you a lot of perspective on people on how they view the world exactly yeah yeah yeah. um and see that would be an even a a hard question to to answer i mean um you know characters characters from books characters from movies characters from there's so many characters man the world's just a bunch of characters i mean you know (laughs) yeah honestly (laughs) Yeah. yeah you know um, so I mean, digging into some of your uh, some of your other research on that, um, for anybody that doesn't know exactly who that person is, um, you know, without giving too much away, if you're intending to use it for a book, yeah. um, I'm sure the listeners would love to hear like a quick, not even a quick. You you can just go into it if you want and open yeah. up a discussion about you know all the all the new stuff you've been researching because I'm definitely yeah. fascinated. Would love to hear it. Um. So as far as the character of Nimrod, um, he's basically an ancient Mesopotamian king um, that ruled over all of Mesopotamia, the Akkadian Empire, um, and even de- even reaching down into Crete and Greece, um, into parts of Africa. Um, you know, we find uh, portraits of Nimrod with the Phrygian hat in um, even parts of old uh, Prussia. Um, but, but the whole thing is, um, I essentially found the story of the skin of the first man being Adam or, you know, whatever name you want to give him. Um, cause this, this burges and branches into multiple cultures. Um, and I do cover, you know, how all these, you know, different from the Hindu culture to the Mesopotamian culture to the Greek to, and kind of guide you through this whole, um, story of, um, his appearances in different cultures and who he is. Like in Africa, he was Nebo. Um, in Crete, he was King Minos. Um, but nonetheless, I follow that skin. And it was at the age of 22 that Nimrod put the skin on and basically, and this was after the, the fall of the tower of Babel. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, basically, um, the, the previous, um, uh, Nimrod, the elder, because there was two Nimrods, right? Um, much like, uh, MC Escher. A lot of people don't know that that's two artists. Um, there's the elder and the younger and the elder mostly did, um, landscapes, whereas the younger did a bit more, um, surreal works. Um, but nonetheless, um, 
So I was just on um, Subconscious Realms with General Lee, right? Mm-hmm. And we covered the Book of Invasions, which was the uh, the Book of the Taking of Ireland, right? And this is an old text from about um, six six hundred, you know, r- around five hundred to six hundred, around the sixth century, and. Basically, you know, Lee asked me if I had read it and I was like, yeah, I read it like 20 years ago, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. but I'd be more than happy to read it again and we can talk about it. Um, So I read it again and I find that this has all this information pertaining exactly to what the book is about as far as it's this this um, group of individuals that left the Tower of Babel and basically, you know, they call themselves Magog and they basically came to the the island of Ireland, right? Um, But in that, they also talk about um, one of the chieftains, one of the top six chieftains that was building the Tower of Babel under Nimrod was um, the father of Phineas Farside, who was the one who went to Ireland. Um, But the whole thing was, they talk about after the fall of the Tower of Babel that they, they essentially set up a school and they they you know constructed these different languages the seventy two languages and how they taught them to all the the miscellaneous tribes before they sent them out in the various directions to go take over the, you know the lands so that was something that that fell right in with the book so talking to the editor. Um, last night I was like, you know, this is, and he's like, oh, you got to get it in there. And I'm like, <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's, it's an, like I said, it's just this never ending process, you know? Um, but, and, and that's back to the happy spot, you know, at a certain point, it's like, you know, y- you have to like, just be hands off and be like, it is what it is. And you just kind of pat its, its butt and send it out into the world, you know? So, Yeah. Can always run a part two. That's that's always the way to go too. Call the first book what it is as it is now. Yeah. And add all the in, in extra information into it's a part two. Book. Information. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah. So, um, but I mean, that's one of the rabbit holes I've been down recently. Um, I've been going in and um, reading the early works of um, Howard Philip Lovecraft, um, and basically going into um, some of his early poetry. Um, and some of his stuff that he wrote with other people and kind of, and then, um, the other rabbit hole I've been going down is, uh, going into Philip K. Dick's early, um, sci-fi writings that were in the miscellaneous pulp magazines and kind of, um, you know, it's, um, and, and it's interesting, not necessarily from the perspective of a storyteller, but it's the the philosophies that subside within these writings that I'm kind of trying to because like Philip K. Dick, um, in a, you know several of his interviews, he's stated that um, essentially all of his stories are one big story, you know. And through the course of time, I mean, I've read I would say I've read most every single book Philip K. Dick has written, you know. And I thought there was some contradictions. Um, but now I'm going back and reading his early, you know, sci-fi rag stuff and I'm starting to see how he's worked some of these, these problems that I have with what he's written out early on in his career. So it kind of goes without saying, you know, um, but it's, uh, yeah, it's just interesting stuff to, to delve into and, 
and go through all the array of, of possibilities, you know, in regard to reality. Have you uh, kind of come at it from like the occult side, like almost like they may be part of these extended uh, secret mystery schools, you know, that they're, you know, really? hiding information within their, their text to pass on to further generations almost, or are you more so just on the storytelling side? Well, and it's deeper than the storytelling side. More than, you know, like I said, I'm looking at philosophical elements that are buried like cohesively within the body of the work, you know? Um, it's, uh, I mean, Philip K. Dick, you know, um, when you get into his, his early writings and you start to look at some of his history, um, and his possible links to like MK Ultra, um, you know, and, and, you look at some of those characters that went through that program, you know, um, like Manson was basically out in the West coast doing what, uh, Epstein was doing, you know? Um, and then you got like Whitey Bulger who ended up being a kingpin, you know, drug runner on the East coast. Um, and then you have like uh, Ted Kaczynski who essentially saw what they were trying to do with the technocracy and turned against, you know, the MK ultra doctors. I mean, those were the only ones he was really going after. Um, but then when you get to Philip K. Dick, um, if he was indeed a MK Ultra um, victim, um, what I think he's doing is um, focusing on the idea of precognition or the idea of, um, you know, when like there was a 1963 story that I was recently reading and he's talking about people texting back and forth on their handheld computers, you know, and, and then you get into like the pre-crime aspects, you know, as far as using the precognitives to, you know, see who's going to commit a crime. And you look at like the technocracy that he's talking about and all of the bombardment of the advertising, you know, um, it's, uh, you know, I just think that, that, so, so from the standpoint of precognition, right? Philip K. Dick basically, um, talks about the idea that, um, science fiction writers and artists and musicians, um, are kind of like, um, precognitive in the sense that they, you know, see further down the road than the average individual, right? And I've always kind of had this, um, this concept now in music, when you take two tones, right? And they're vibrating at exactly the same rate, right? And when you overlap them, they begin to phase shift, right? So you mm -hmm. get that, which is a larger waveform pattern that exists within the merging of those two um, exact amplitudes, right? So I almost think that certain people operate, you know, on the, the micro, whereas other people maybe that have decided to, um, subtract themselves from the idea of the calendar, um, as much as possible. I mean, there's always time constraints, there's always deadlines, but, um, and to live a more autonomous life and, and, but it's the idea of operating within that, that higher, um, wave function, you know, which I believe is where maybe the idea of precognition comes in, you know? Um, but it's, it's just interesting stuff to think about as far as, um, 
why certain people are always ahead of, of others in regard to inventors and thinkers. And, you know, um, it's, it's just, uh, just an interesting anomalous philosophy that, that I've kind of noticed, you know? Do you think it has something to do with almost like being able to tap into the Akashic records? Cause it almost seems like, mm. like if somebody comes up with a really good idea and they don't end up doing it, miraculously right after somebody else comes up with the same idea, almost like it gets passed on to like the next person. And like you were right. saying, once you get into that wavelength, um, yeah. I mean, even with like podcasting and stuff, it seems like I'll just have ideas that'll just pop into my head randomly that they almost don't feel like they're your ideas, but they are, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah. I don't know. I, I feel like it has some type of like spiritual connection, be it the Akashic records or something else. Like there's, there's yeah. something with that wavelength, like you were saying. Right. Right. Well, and if you go back in history, you know, and you look at like um, Eli Whitney and the cotton gin, there was there were multiple people that were simultaneously making that exact same. And, you know, what do they say? Um, You know, um, the need. uh, What's it? The uh, uh, mother, the mother of invention need is the mother of invention, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, but it's like also like um, with the light bulb, you know, a couple people came up and then the same thing with the uh, airplane, you know, the same time the Wright brothers were doing their takeoffs. There was someone over and I think it was Sweden that was doing the exact same, you know, so it, it there, you know, is it just the, you know, if we look at life and the manifestation of the whole as a fractal um, and and you know, everything's spinning out within the normal progression of, you know, the spin of the fractal, um, you know, anything that can happen will happen, I say. And um, that would also lead to um, multiple people having similar concepts and ideas kind of beca- just because that's where you're at in the turning, you know, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's the, well, there's an old Masonic, you know, philosophy that um, a lamb could be born one day and then just because of the juxtaposition and turning of the stars, you know, it could die the next day because, you know, it's been faded, you know. Um, but like the word fate itself, you know, is where the word doom comes from. You know, it's like it's like, you know, are we are we riding down some sort of a track where everything is potentially pre-programmed? Or do we have free will within the mechanism of the manifestation to be able to kind of direct some of these powers in our own ways and make ripples out within the whole based upon our time here, you know, in matter? It's interesting questions. I mean, the way I kind of view it personally is that it seems like we have free will to an extent. Like there's things that are intended to happen and are going to happen, but it almost kind of explain why you kind of get the deja vu feeling sometimes is that when there's a split moment and you kind of have this envision in your head of it going either way and you choose one path or the other, um, I kind of believe that it's possible that that could possibly be a splitting off of like almost like different mm-hmm. dimensions. Cause if everything is, you know, infinite, it has to have like a break point where all these different dimensions start. So every time these decisions happen, it spirals down the line and causes a whole different change of events. So almost every decision you make could essentially open up like another, another dimension, so to speak. Another microverse. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and sometimes I think that's why when I lose something around the house that um, maybe it went off into that microverse and then I have to notice it and cognitively tell the universe, 
you know, what the hell is, cause I know I left it right there and then I'll come back a little while later and it will be there where it was supposed to be in the first place, but I couldn't find it there before. I mean, you know, just strange, you know, weirdness within the function of what reality it's like, it just didn't have time to render yet or something, you know? Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting, man, to think about. It reminds me of, uh, have you ever had one of those experiences where like you'll drop something and you don't hear it hit the ground. You don't see it hit the ground. You look for it. You don't know where the hell it went. Then all of a yeah. sudden, like a couple of weeks later, it's in that same spot where you assume yeah. that it fell. I mean, looking at yeah. it from that way, if you can't see microscopic tears in the dimensions, yeah. like maybe Micro it theoretically yeah, fell through the yeah. dimension and finally popped back into that place. And that's why it's been right. like, aged and weathered. Well, and it takes, uh, you know, what do they say? You know, um, it shrinks down and has to come back to size. And, um, and then there's time differentials within that spectrum, you know, as far as, yeah, there's all kinds of factors involved in the, the, you know, tears and, and formation of, of space and time, man. It's, uh, yeah. And, and to think about that idea, that's one of the things, um, to think about that idea where, ultimately time and space like come you know on top of each other and meet and pull and push against that you know that you know and that is the now you know that is the present you know um so it's, it's interesting to think about how time you know moves in both directions and space is infinite but yet we're centrally located and walking through as a central and some people think that that's really the only reason um that we like as spirit as you know spiritual entities um the potential of seeing the whole reflective at once is a possibility but i've even heard it's because of the dna um basically being a hyperlight accelerator like a photon accelerator um that basically allows us to exist on the linear timeline, you know? That's crazy yeah. to think about. I mean, going back into the sci-fi writers, mm. it seems like they uh, they kind of guess, theoretically, what happens mm. in the future, but it almost kind of makes me wonder if, uh, mm. I don't know, they, they won their sci-fi writers, so maybe they already kind of know how to do things that they don't necessarily project that they know mm. how to do in a sense, or maybe they do it in their writing. But I almost wonder if they have an ability almost to, like, if time isn't necessarily linear and even mm. if they do it like meditating wise, if they find a way to like leave the constant, like imagine time is like a river that flows mm -hmm. in a circle. And if they right. find a way to kind of step back from it and see different points in time, even if they're doing it through meditation and they end up writing down what they see, or if they're honestly just really good guessers, but you know, mm. even going into some modern day stuff like the Simpsons, for example, like they seem mm. like they get stuff to a T where even people are standing in specific spots at specific times like it makes me right. wonder like what what's different with them that they're able to project you know see these things guess these things however however you want right. to view it um and makes you wonder if it's just like you get to a certain level kind of like you're saying of creativity where it's almost mm. like your frequencies become this that constant built up vibration and maybe you are able to you know transcend to at least a little bit where you know maybe yeah. you can transcend just enough to kind of see past the veil more to be able a to get these concepts to right yeah. Yeah. Well, now when you get into the works of Philip K. Dick, what's interesting is at a certain point, um, this, uh, this girl comes with some of his medication and she has the, um, Christian fish symbol 
um, like a gold necklace, right? And right when he opens the door, the light shines down and then blinds him with like this um, hyper ultramarine, ultramarine pink that he says is not even a real color that we can see within the natural, you know, scape of, of reality, you know? Um, but when that happened to him, all of a sudden he was living in ancient Rome and the present simultaneously. And he said it was very confusing, like keeping up with, you know, cause he knew all the politics of both time periods. And like, he said almost like, um, some sort of a, uh, uh, the spirit of what he was in ancient Rome, basically, um, it kind of altered the spirit of what he was now. Like rather than drinking, he quit drinking beer and he started drinking wine. He quit listening to rock and roll and he started listening to cl like classical music. And, and basically, um, through the course of this experience of living in both timelines, um, he like basically, um, transcended and became a new person, you know? So it's, it's, uh, interesting to think about as far as writing that higher waveform that, you know, it, it could potentially stretch into the future, but at the same time, you could also potentially have like, um, kind of an overloop from the back that, you know, kind of, you know, you participate in with, you know, as well. So yeah, it's, it's some interesting stuff. Was it uh, H.P. Lovecraft that also had a book? What was it The Color from Space? They were just talking about like the same same color? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you found any other connections with that? Um, different people talking about that that color? Like maybe there's something like, yeah. you know, that's hidden knowledge to that color where maybe that's yeah. the reason why these people can project and see things. And like, mm. I I'm assuming that that was from a story. What if that was literal well, and he wrote it as a story you know he, uh, most of the stuff he writes is biographical so, oh you know, so yeah so, he's already saying that he's it's already something that's happening oh yeah well and even to the point that in one of the books he wrote he wrote about himself dying and where he was how he died and how he was laid out on the floor by the coffee table and then shortly you know within a few years um what he wrote in the book in regard to how he died was actually how he died you know <laughs> giving so, it out right right in the open yeah yeah you know <laughs> the, uh the color purple and that that story that you're talking about did they uh come out near the same time that you know of or it was like one uh, after the other hp uh, lovecraft was way way earlier man um probably by 50 years so that being said like it makes you wonder if H.P. Lovecraft had the same experiences and he just kind of hit it within his text because I'm assuming mm -hmm. since that was 50 years prior, you know, it was probably just like most things, a little bit more hidden. And as times progress, it's been a little bit right. more open as they go. So, like, right. I'm kind of curious what other aspects that they may have written about that's the same. That, that similar. Yeah, that they just kind of like did it yeah. in a sci-fi angle and a literal angle. They're They're both very kind of Gnostic- um, in regard to like, um, almost like us being trapped in matter and our spiritual bodies are like bound. Um, Phil K. Dick calls it like the black iron prison. Um, but it's, you know, when you start getting into the ideas of light, you know, I mean, that, that, you know, the color of space, you know, this kind of that infrared, whereas 
Philip K. Dick is talking about this pink light. But the thing is, this is all within the infrared spectrum. It's all on the outer borders of the color spectrum at the points at which the eye um, almost can see but can't see, you know. Um, and and when you get into Philip K. Dick, he talks about the idea of um, what if our earthly realm is their heaven, you know, and it's the idea of um, every, every religion, no matter which one you go through, they're talking about light, you know, um, and, and like, um, you know, light coming down, light entering into light, you know, being almost a dimensional portal of some sort, you know, um, when you, when you get into the Bible and, and some of the uh, biblical characters, um, but it's uh, it's also interesting that um, well, so one of the stories Philip K. Dick wrote was about these entities that they had never seen light and they operated strictly in the realm of sound. Right. And then in comparison to us that operate in sound and light. So somehow these two entities like exchange conscious like consciousness consciousnesses mm -hmm. and um that entity that had never seen light um or maybe it was light and sound basically experienced you know um a bombardment of of light waves and sound waves you know that were unlike anything they'd ever you know experienced before then they went back to their own realm and they were like you you just don't understand. I can't explain it to you. It's like this and it's just coming and it's like, but they have no words for it. So, you know, you have to think as far as um, some of these altered states of consciousness that we can um, direct our minds into through, you know, um, yogic practices and meditation or hallucinogenic, you know, substances um, that maybe, um, it's the same kind of thing, you know, um, seeing, seeing realms that can't be explained, seeing colors that can't be seen, you know, um, it's, uh, now, did you hear about the woman down in Florida? No, I have not. And I also have a really interesting theory with yeah. for you on this colors, but I want to hear your story yeah. from the lady from so, Florida. Um, her, now they went in and, um, her cones and rods were, um, mutated right in some fashion where she actually was able to see like 24 different colors like far beyond the spectrum further than the average person and you know and nuances within those colors um much like birds almost you know so so we have some human examples you know scientifically documented that can see further into the color spectrum than the average individual you know, See, so anyways, go ahead. I was going to say that actually kind of blends into my theory that I was just kind of coming up with. Okay. So follow me on this one. Mm. You know how they say that in biblical times, like people theoretically couldn't see the color blue. Like it's kind of like a theory. So what if rather than time travel being like, as we perceive it, it's mm. actually within light spectrums yeah. and you can't see what light spectrum you're in because it's the light spectrum that you're used to seeing. So everything comes up as wash and normal, but right. what if all times are existing within different light spectrums and they're all coexisting at the same time. And it's a matter of like, you're in tune to certain light spectrums at certain points. So right. if you theoretically found a way to change your view of light spectrum, and if you're adding in frequency and sound, 
But what if that's almost the portal is being able to match up your light spectrum with the light spectrum of the time that you are trying to go to. And you also attune your frequency to the time, because I'm sure that as you know, even, even if you're going into like earth vibrations, I'm sure that the earth vibration has changed through time. So what if you line up with the earth vibration at that specific time and the color spectrum of that time, if you're able to figure it out and yeah, that that's actually the key to theoretical time travel and, going into the lady that you were saying um, within those, I almost wonder if, if she found a way to tune up with the frequency, if she would start to see things within that spectrum and maybe it's not necessarily mutation. Maybe it's actually this whole human enlightenment that we're talking about. Yes. That maybe we get to a certain point and we transcend because we adapt to these abilities or we'd be able to almost navigate through the light spectrums and sound spectrums. And that's not actually mutation. That's like one of the first of these, future enlightened people that get human race to the next step as far as the conscious evolution of the of humanity as a whole exactly because they'd have the ability to change what spectrum they're seeing and what spectrum they're hearing theoretically i like it i like it so also now um when you look at um as you were saying that i was thinking about different timescapes overlaying different timescapes right and um when you look in in a lot of the ancient sacred texts they talk about time um basically unrolling like a scroll and it says that it'll unroll and then it'll roll back up and then it'll unroll and this is a never-ending process almost like you know there's a big bang and then the universe expands to a certain point And then it contracts and then it expands and then it contracts. So what if within that expansion contraction, um, we're all the same souls, we're all the same, you know, waveform, vibrational energy beings. And each time that the scroll unrolls and rolls back up, we have the free will within that magnitude to be able to have and hold all these different lives. And essentially every time it unrolls and rolls, those, those, you know, waveforms are still with us. We're just, you know, locked in almost like, you know, that layered onion of the Gnostic philosophy where we're compressed down into the smallest, you know, most compact form of matter that we just are, are unable to sense those other waveforms that exist with us. Hey, I mean, it could even be a thing too, where it's almost like when the scroll rolls up, you can almost put like a pin through all the times that you are at at the exact same time. Right. Yeah. Straight through. And then maybe that's when people are able to like see visions and things. And maybe we're getting to a point where the scroll is starting to roll up. And that's why we seem to have all these weird time dilations, all the stuff going on with CERN, all the Mandela effects is because you know, it's, it's rolling back up. But I mean, even going right. off the view of what we we're saying with the light spectrum, like what if the scroll is the light spectrum right? and it's like, we're looking at just one specific spot of the light spectrum. Then as it rolls back up, that's when you could theoretically see all times at the same time layered on top of each other, kind of like you yeah. were saying, and you can right. make that connection with yourself, your consciousness through time. Right. Well now, and also if you think about the idea of a scroll unrolling and rolling back up, it's a forward function followed by a reversal. So do we get to a certain point in the time? And I used to think about this when I was probably 12 or 13 years old. Um, do we get to a certain point in the time spectrum where the scroll is done fully unrolling? And as it begins to roll back up, we may not 
conceptually perceive the idea as to whether we're going forwards or backwards only due to the fact that we are within our mindscape experiencing time in a forward manner, you know, because that's the way the mind works. So, you know, it's, it, you know, would, and would we even know, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and I've got this whole, uh, whoops, sorry, go yeah. ahead. <laughs> well, I was also going to say, and then I used to think, well, if that's the case, what if every time it unrolled and re-rolled back up, do we have to live the same life over and over? But I like this other theory better of every time it's a new experience, a new, you know, um, game to play essentially. Yeah. Cause it's almost like, I mean, if you're looking at it from this perspective, it could almost be like, as it rolls out, that's mm-hmm. one lifetime. Then as it comes back, it's like another, another life where it's like, you may be in these same time periods, but maybe mm-hmm. when it rolls back out again, you can live a different life within different that time life. period. Right. So right. every time it rolls back up, it's not that there's like an yeah. end point. It's just that there's like, yeah, you're, you're in a different spot in that time period. In that time, well, and that's Philip K. Dick. You know, when you get into his writings, he talks about he was living in like 1080 and like 1960 or 70, whatever it was, simultaneously, and seeing both the worlds superimposed on one another simultaneously, almost like he was viewing that you know one of those timelines, you know. That's crazy to think about. See, like when it comes to time, for whatever reason, my mind always wants to go to the fact that it goes in like spirals. So it's like, that's why time, it seems like back in the day, it was way slower is because you're on the outside Mm -hmm. rotation of the spiral. And as it compresses down into the center, that's why it seems like time and everything's coming faster. Mm -hmm. And then you get to that singularity point. And then once that happens, then it starts unspiraling back. And maybe that's where, uh, you know, we've Mm -hmm. gotten to points in time where it's almost like we we like reset, but it kind of builds off of like the scroll idea of like you were saying, if you just kind of look at it from one end and you kind of see the scroll is almost like spiraling downward to open. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of, you know, flat to open. Right. And then, I mean, that would also explain the whole concept of why the dimensions seem like they're so close is because maybe the, mm. the scroll never fully like flattens unravels. Right. It kind of just unravels around itself where the gap it's between still- dimensions gets yeah, wider, yeah. but it's yeah. still, within grasping distance that you can see past the veil into the other dimension on the last fold. Right. Right. Um, one of the other strange things I've kind of contemplated is, um, within the whole, uh, micro macrobus of the whole of the universe. Oh, and there's a story by, um, Voltaire that you should go check out, man. It's called, I think it's called micro macrobus. Um, but it's about, it's about, um, these different entities on different planets that tour around the universe. And I mean, you know, he wrote this back in the eight, late 1800s, you know, so it's, I would think that it's probably some of the first sci-fi that I've encountered, you know, um, as far as, you know, science fiction works within the, the history of, of the books that I've read, you know, um, but, but think about this. If, uh, if everything, you know, the idea of as above, so below and the micro to the, so if you can understand micro processes, then you can conceptually understand macro processes, right? Because all the systems work the same, just on different levels of, of, you know, increasing variation, you know, uh, spectrum. Um, but if, if the universe, or the solar system is essentially like an atom, right? And the planets are the, the neutrons and electrons spinning around the nucleus, which is the sun. Um, who's to say that at a certain point, much like an atom, 
when um, the the electrons or neutrons get to certain valences that they will um, transpose or shift like phase shift to the next valence, right? So maybe we're at a point where um, the vibrational frequency of everything is changing and, and there's a possibility, you know, within the turning of the, the, you know, cosmos and the turning of the ages, the platonic long year, you know, um, maybe, maybe there's a possibility that as a whole, um, our solar system might be phase shifting into a new form of atomic structure, you know? Yeah, I mean, I was even kind of entertaining the idea of, like, we've been looking for, the, like, the God particle, but maybe there's something smaller mm. than the God particle. And if you dig into that, mm. maybe it's almost like another universe that's set up exactly like ours. And then you kind of get into the expanding out theory. But yep. then one thing that I always wonder is, would it be a thing that would always continuously span out where it's almost like a straight line? Or if the universe doesn't seem to work in patterns like that, it almost makes you wonder if you go small enough if you'll almost come into the come into the large side if that makes sense mm -hmm. like like the smallest creates the large and then the largest creates the small and it's like a continuous flow up and down and then you kind of right. get one of those like vortex type patterns you know where it's like you have the continuous flow in and out you know well and that would almost imply like a foot like a what they call a foothold situation that creates an anomaly within the the timescape um like basically something happening um, that caused something historic to happen that a time traveler would go back and make happen um, that wasn't supposed to happen, you know? Um, yeah, it's it's interesting stuff to think about, man. Um, I mean, bouncing back into your other theories about, like, the scroll thing, um, mm -hmm. when you talk about these, like, sci-fi writers, it almost makes you wonder if maybe that scroll opening and closing happens mm -hmm. in shorter time periods than we think it happens. Right. And maybe it's like a hundred year process or something. And that's why it seems so like every like year process. Yeah. However group, you know, it seems yeah. like these writers come in certain groups. Like it right. almost makes you wonder if that's a point where like well, the pages are almost yeah. touching and they're able to see yeah. into the future off of that aspect instead of it right. being like where we may be now where there's more of a gap and it's harder to see that future aspect. Well, and it's kind of like the whole planet X theory, you know, as far as the, you know, the returning of the, you know, like if you get into the whole, planet X idea that it comes around every, you know, 26,000 years and that it has to get close enough for these entities to be able to come and visit earth, you know, which is when we have, you know, like there'll be flaps of visitations, you know, at certain intervals, you know, um, that some people believe is in accordance with, you know, certain cycles happening within the cosmos, you know? Um, but, but as far as that, that whole idea of, the spiral scroll and us being in time and that other time being so close, it's almost um, like folding time within the, the psychic mindscape, you know? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I mean, theoretically you totally be able to like spiritually ascend, even if you can't physically ascend. And like I said, maybe it's just a matter right. of a uh, color and vibration. Cause it seems like everything links back to one of the two and you combine the two and maybe that's, theoretically the secret to all of this and time travel projecting into the future cognitive abilities yeah. maybe it's all just a matter of it's not particularly per human like there's certain special specific people it's just a matter of like finding the hidden knowledge within it right and maybe there's this whole like like we're looking at a lot of these writings like they're linked to other occult things maybe they're their own offshoot where there's always been this like different variation of 
of right. writers or rather than being part of the secret society, right. they're part of their own thing where right. they're more of like these cognitive, like time travelers, so yeah. to speak that are like, you know, sci-fi writers are actually these time travelers that have been happening through time, you know, right. like you know, all those like weird pictures you see with the, yeah. Like, like that yeah. picture you see with some dude with the, with the cell phone, like maybe that's a sci-fi right. writer that's going to pop up five years from now. <laughs> right. right. Well, and, uh, so, um, you get into like Peter Lavenda stuff at all? Uh, no, I haven't heard of him. No. Okay. Um, he's kind of, uh, oh, he writes a lot. Uh, I mean, basically he's behind the Simon Necronomicon that came out in the seventies. That was oh, a gotcha. anonymous writer. Um, he's also behind, um, just, uh, like Holy Blood, Holy Grail, which was the, uh, Nazi occult book. Um, he's behind, um, he, he just a plethora of, and he's always delving into kind of occult kind of secret philosophies. And, um, but he basically through his course of researching, um, HP Lovecraft and Alistair Crowley, he found that they were actually, um, writing about the same types of things, um, down to the same day that that um and and basically ritual like lovecraft's writing about rituals in new orleans to a certain um like dagon type god and crowley's like into the book of the law and writing you know um and, and but not necessarily the that the names are the same but the personifications the energies the rituals the dates like so many of them like so, you know, there's this idea that maybe um, Lovecraft was like, um, you know, again, some sort of astral travel where he's essentially like taking in, you know, a, a certain, you know, it's that that form, that waveform higher than the waveform, you know, and, and that's the whole thing. Being able to put yourself into a position in time space with your own mind where you try to exist outside of time space and allowing yourself to enter into a higher vibrational frequency. Um, and, and I think the creativity has something to do with that because, um, when you're, when you're in that mind state and you're focusing and you're like really like deep down in like the act of creation, um, it's, it's like, a really high form of high meditation. So, you know, you're like, and, and they say that artists, you know, spend more time alone than doctors. Um, an artist is one of the loneliest professions that there is because basically most of the time you're literally just like face down in a piece of paper or, you know, painting or some, in some form, like using the constructive energy to manifest a creation, you know? So I think that that, that hyper-focusing ability puts one's mind into a, like, hyper-meditative state that, that, you know, depending on how you ride that wave, um, I think it makes it easier to um, sink into or ascend to other waveforms that are, that are, you know, um, vibrating higher and lower with, you know, right around where, you know, it's like multiple dimensions within the, the, the current time space, you know, that almost makes you wonder too. I've always said that I feel like the meaning of life is experience. Mm. Maybe the meaning of life is creation. Mm. And that's, that's our whole purpose is it's like those two things go hand in hand that experience right. is part of creation, but realistically, yeah. 
like a person never feels fully fulfilled unless they create something, be it, you know, if you're like a woodworker and you make something out of wood or whatever, like that's the only time that the person fully feels satisfied. And it's almost like you kind of hit a point, like you were saying, where it's like, you almost like lose track of time. Like time doesn't seem to flow in the same linear pattern. So maybe that's almost showing the aspect that you're connecting into something bigger than you realize. Um, and a lot of people just look past it. And I mean, even another idea, people say, you know, active imagination, they try to put a lot of people down that have visions and things as saying they just have an active imagination. Maybe that's a ploy that's been intended since, you know, however, that it was just an idea of, you know, that's fake. That doesn't act, that it doesn't actually happen. So it just totally like shoots that idea out of people's heads where they don't see it as possibly being seeing into another time, seeing into another dimension, whatever. Um, but it's actually, like I said, that connection, especially to through creativity, when you hit that point, that it's Mm -hmm. not an active imagination, you're actually connecting into something way bigger than you ever realized. Yeah. Well, and that's the whole idea of the muse, you know, um, it's, it's coming like, like I said, when I'm sitting and doing the work, I'm not necessarily trying to do anything. I mean, I do have intent in regard to X, Y, and Z needs to be within the the periphery, you know? Um, but, but basically I'm sitting and I just like kind of watch it happen. I'm just the, the vessel at which, you know, it streams through, you know, and, and through that, you know, like I said, when I'm drawing, I want that, um, ambient space so that I can just kind of like, you know, um, let it, let it be what it is. And I just find it flow. But as far as the tapping into when I was younger, um, I used to, well, I used to call the shower, um, my trans dimensional meditation chamber. Right. And I would basically just go in the shower and I would just like crank the hot water up as hot as it would go and like get totally steamy in there and kind of just like, you know, lose myself in the, the, the steam and the heat and the white noise of the water. And then you're also grounded out because you have, you know, the negative ions of in the steam and the, just the act of, of the water as therapy within itself, you know, pouring over your body and like, um, but I used to basically go into almost like trance states where I would just see visions forming and shifting, you know, and, and some of those would come together and, and stick in my mind as pieces of art, you know, and then slowly I've got this catalog of, of things that I'm kind of envisioning and dreaming about, you know? Um, but now it's to the point where I just kind of, you know, I don't even have, to, I just, I honestly, it just, there's so many images there. It's like, which one do I want to pick at this point? You know, it's yeah. Yeah. So See, I've uh, always wondered if it's like when you take a shower, um, just because of the water, if it's almost like a superconductor to be able to experience these things. Cause even when I take showers, man, that's when I come up with my best ideas for show yep. things, all my show titles, all of the art that I've came up with for all my shows all came to me while I was in the shower. Right. And then the other side of that, that I wonder is if they say that memories are, um, like almost stored in water, it makes Ooh. you wonder if when you're taking a shower, if it's almost like yeah. you're getting the memories of every person that's ever been in contact with that water. So it's almost like you're getting amplified yeah. in the aspect of like multiple ideas at right. once. Right. Well, and I think, I think, you know, the, the possibility of information in water, um, information in light, um, information in crystalline forms. Um, you just have to want, I mean, it, it, you know, is it all just data store mechanisms? 
like data storage mechanisms for the maintenance of the the creation that is the the simulacra you know it's uh yeah you gotta wonder man you gotta wonder man we could probably go on this for a very long time but uh you know we i figured we could start wrapping up a little bit around here um so as far as uh anybody that wanted to come and find any of the awesome stuff you do uh art um where to look out for for the books possibly in the future uh where they could even contact you if they wanted to get some custom art uh where where'd everybody come and find you at um, like I said, I'm on Etsy at Robbie, R-O-B-B-Y, Marks, M-A-R-X, uh, or that's, that's my Instagram handle. I'm on Etsy at R Marks Artist. Um, and also if anybody just wanted to email me, it's, uh, Marks, Marks at Hotmail.com. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I generally try to get back to everybody that gets a hold of me. Um, Sometimes a lot's going on family wise or work wise. Um, but, but generally I'm pretty easy to get a hold of and communicate with. And, you know, um, yeah. So, uh, I always like to do words of wisdom at the end of the show, um, from the listener or from the guest to the listener, not from the listener to the guest. But, <laughs> yeah. um, if there's any words of wisdom that you'd like to bestow on the listeners, even if it's the same as last time you're on the show, uh, what would those words of wisdom be? Um, Follow your passions, um, be yourself, never try to be something that you're not, um, have some humility, um, realize everyone is the same as, as you, um, just trying to make their way and, and create something beautiful around them and, um, you know, have some patience and, and try not to get upset with, with things, um, try to slow down a little bit. Um, Americans, especially, man, I mean, we're, we're some of the, the longest, hardest working, you know, um, it's, uh, yeah, um, try to, try to live your life and enjoy it. You know, you're only here once or maybe, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows, man, until you get to the other side and then you'll have to figure it out, but then you can't yeah. bring the memories back with you or maybe yeah, you can, yeah. but only certain people well, can, you got to tap into it. <laughs> one of the Lovecraft stories I was just reading, um, uh, it's called the green meadow, um, but he basically, it's about this rock that comes and it has this book that's made out of meteorite inside of it. Um, but nonetheless, um, he, he comes to this conclusion where he realizes that, you know, the bodies that we're in now are just like, you know, tiny pinpricks in the whole scape of a traveler on a never ending journey. And it's like, it's like the idea of, um, you know, being yourself and alone in the universe with the ultimate and unlimited of, of all time and, and knowing that you have eternity, you know? Um, so yeah, you know, is it finite? Is it infinite? Um, you know, many philosophies tell us many things. So truth. (laughs) I really appreciate you making the time to come on the show today, man. I always have a great conversation with you. We always seem to get into the deep theories and that's some of my favorite shows, man. Yeah, it is fun. It is fun. So, uh, for anybody that enjoyed the show, um, just a little bit of, uh, end of the house stuff for you. Um, if you are interested in being a guest in the show, uh, if you would like to sponsor the show, if you have a topic or a guest that you would like to see on the show, or you feel you have anything you can contribute to the show whatsoever, I would love to hear from you. Um, you guys can shoot me an email at increaseofallrealitypodcast at outlook.com, or you can come and find me on social media and just hit me up that way. And uh, 
hope everybody enjoyed the show. Thanks again, Robbie, for making the time to come on. And uh, I'll catch you guys on the next one. Have a good night, everybody. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.